Artificial intelligence is going to bring change to a lot of industries, not the least of which is agriculture. What are the opportunities ahead? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. The terms artificial intelligence and machine learning are bandied about when talking about many industries, including agriculture. At the university level, it was common in the past for artificial intelligence work to be a focus in the computer science department. But at the University of Florida, they're taking a different approach. Think of it as artificial intelligence for all. Dr. Scott Angle is Senior Vice President for Agriculture and Natural Resources at the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. He joins us in this podcast to discuss the university's approach to artificial intelligence and what it means for everyone from farmers to doctors. This is a significant investment by the university with plenty of potential to advance the science beyond the laboratory. And note, we did record this on location, which sometimes means you just can't get away from a ringing office phone. Well, Dr. Engel, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Good. Glad to be here. So we're talking about something I think, well, I, I like to joke about this because in agriculture, there's two kinds of AI. We're talking about artificial intelligence. Well, there is AI with AI, though, too. Yes, and that's we can discuss that in a bit as well. But we were talking about artificial intelligence and, and University of Florida and uh, is doing... You're doing a lot of work in that area, and but you've kind of propagated across the university as well. Why don't you talk to me about what that is and what that means from your perspective? Yeah, the university has recently moved into the top ranks of public universities in the country, ranked number five right now. But they're very much focused on either staying there or moving up even further. And a couple of years ago, probably two and a half years ago, they decided that they wanted artificial intelligence to become that tool and that vehicle for the university to either stay or move up in the rankings. And so the, the focus right now is to embed artificial intelligence into all aspects of the University of Florida. So every undergraduate hmm. will leave with some understanding of artificial intelligence. Research and outreach, <clears throat> they will be infused with artificial intelligence too. So it's not just agriculture or computer science or, or engineering, but it'll be library sciences and medicine and and even history. So it's a significant uh, investment and initiative for the university. I think in agriculture, we keep hearing machine learning and artificial intelligence over and over and over. And I, I think we try to get, try to understand what it might mean for our business. So I guess the base question is, what does AI from, from mean to a farmer from your perspective? And then we'll branch it out to the other sciences you're talking about. Well, artificial intelligence is simply training a computer to begin to think for itself. So we can, it's just like a person, but before you can start having an independent thought, you're, you know, as a child, you're learning information, you're learning context, you're learning how things fit together. And that's the first step of artificial intelligence is for the computer to start to put those pieces together. But at some point it has enough information and understanding along with obviously incredible memory that it can start making connections just like a human brain would. And with databases that are essentially unlimited, it can put a lot more pieces together than even a human can. I think one of the early examples of AI would have been Watson at IBM and Watson's ability to explore 50, 60,000 medical papers and read them and then go through them and make some interesting metadata conclusions on some research in the past. We're way past that, right, in terms of more 
practical application of AI? Yeah, Watson was um, was now it has evolved since then. Mm-hmm. Since then, to be pretty much just a, a big fancy computer. Yes, <laughs> that it 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 knew certain things, but it did not know what it didn't know, and it did not have the ability to learn. So it could it had it had unlimited. Um, even if it's playing chess, mm-hmm. it, it had. You know, Hundreds of thousands of different moves, probably millions of different moves, right. but they were all memorized moves. Okay, and so it was simply searching for what is the next best move. Uh, we've now moved to that point in artificial intelligence where uh, we don't have to have that answer already in a database. So the computer is actually able to do what you would do in your brain. You're putting together uh, different pieces of information that seemingly may be unrelated, but finding those intersections and then from that, making a decision, making recommendations, um, moving beyond that. So when you talk about bringing AI across many different departments at Florida, uh, and as a journalist, we'll talk about where that might go, but um, you've been doing it for a couple of years. Are you starting to see some practical application? I mean, I don't want to go there yet. I mean, a little bit practical application, or how how is that starting to propagate across the, the campus? Sure. Well, first we had to lay the groundwork right. for it. Um, the first step was to have the supercomputer that could do that. Right. And that came from a gift from Chris Malakowski uh, with NVIDIA. Okay. Uh, it is the fastest supercomputer at a university in the world right now. So that was step number one. The state of Florida then uh, invested or funded 100 brand new faculty at the university exclusively in artificial intelligence to augment the probably 100 that we already had. And so we have the hardware, we now have the the, the human element to begin to, uh, so so the groundwork has been laid. And then now from that, we're starting to find ways to actually utilize the tools and the people we have for practical application. Obviously, AI is meant to do things that benefit humans, society, the environment. Right. And uh, we're just now exploring what some of those things may be. I don't think we even know what they all are. We've got lots of examples where we have started. But, uh, you know, at some point the computer is, or AI is going to tell us how it can be used rather than us figuring out how it can be used. But part of that conversation, and before we get into some AGA areas that I'm aware of, Part of that conversation is making sure that AI is, I don't know the right word, um, balanced um, when it's interfacing with different parts of society. It in- interfaces with those different parts of society equally. I mean, from uh, you know BIPOC communities, high-income communities, low-income communities. So how, does, how do you bring that to the conversation today when you're in the early stages and make sure it stays a part of it all the way through the design process? That's one of the, I think, fabulous parts of all of this is it's a, it's a very democratic system. Okay. And it's a way to essentially level the playing field um, with whatever technology or whatever area right. We're, right. we're exploring. So right now, um, we have business, we have people, uh, universities, that the uh, those that are large, those that are well-funded, uh, they have access to information that other people don't right now. Mm-hmm. And that's an advantage. That's a competitive advantage. Right. I think we all understand that the future is an information-based future, and the more of it you have, the better off you're going to be and the faster you'll move forward. Uh, so in the current paradigm of um, <clears throat> information is not democratic, 
you end up with the haves and have-nots, and right. that separation continues to increase. But with artificial intelligence, because it is low cost, mm-hmm. because it is uh, fair, because it does not know whether or not you're rich or poor, or big mm-hmm. company or small company, it's going to make the same information and same decision-making capacity available to just about everyone. So I'll give you one quick example about uh, democratizing this. Uh, right now for a big farmer, yep. uh, they need information, they need data they, <clears throat> to make decisions. Uh, and they can do that because they have consultants and they, they work with large companies that can synthesize that information and provide recommendations to them. Mm-hmm. A small farmer can't do that. They can't afford it. It's expensive. But with artificial intelligence, you're now going to have a lot of the same decision-making capa- decision-making capacity and potential for recommendations to be on your cell phone. So you can pick up your phone and now ask, is it time to spray? Or is it going to get cold tonight and do I need to protect my blueberry crop from frost? Mm-hmm. Uh, the small farmers can't do that now. Well, they have some access to it, but they can't do a lot of it through artificial intelligence are going to get much better answers at a much lower cost. That's fascinating because I think that a lot of times when you talk ag technology, you get that big guys get it all and I don't have anything and this would be a great thing if I could, and we all have smartphones, if we could just pull it out and say, don't lift your peanuts today because it's going to freeze. So the investment in this is pretty significant. I mean, what, how would you quantify that? I mean, Yeah, well, we've hired 100 faculty. The uh, The NVIDIA computer was a donation, but mm-hmm. that was quite expensive. And then you have to build a building of course, to put that uh, computer in because it's a it's very high end, needs a lot of cooling capacity yes. when you have to build something like this. So it's about $100 million that the state or private investors mm-hmm. have provided over the last year or two. That's pretty significant. The other side of this investment, I mean, it's great that there's a public investment in this, and this is good because that also makes that information and what you do available more broadly across the country, right? We're not just talking Florida here in the long run, correct? Sure. These are technologies that will be used globally. Uh, I have a lot of experience working in in developing countries, Mm -hmm. Africa in particular, and that's a place where there is no access to knowledge. There is no information. Uh, But they do have cell phones. Mm -hmm. And so with that cell phone, they're now going to be able to have access to decision-making capacity that some of the 10,000-acre Midwestern farmers would have in the United States. So this is really transformative um, for Florida, for the country, but also for the world. It's It's fascinating to me because when you start talking about this, then you have to start opening your head up to the idea that there's a... uh, all the other data or information that you can bring into this for the machine learning or the AI to learn and use. So best example is I believe there's a startup that's going to put up a satellite constellation that will provide global weather radar that won't be radar on the ground, but it's a satellite radar. So Africa will have weather radar they don't have today. So then you add that AI with the smartphone for a guy in Chad, he can now decide what to do with his crop when before he was just guessing. Exactly. And often you guess wrong. Uh, and so this is going to save money. It's going to uh, save resources. It's going to improve yields in parts of the world where they never had that before. So when we talk about AI, there's already practical stuff going on in the commercial world. Uh, the seed industry, for example. I know in the seed corn industry, they've uh, done AI analysis on the genetic base, and they know when they bring in two parent hybrids, the parent inbreds, they know exactly how the child hybrid will perform. 
that's a mind opener when you're in a meeting in a major corporation and you're talking to their biological mathematician. So this this opens up that idea in greater ways too. Are you surprised already how much how far AI has gone in just agriculture itself before you started with this? Well, yes and no. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's moving very quickly right now, <laughs> and University of Florida is a big part of that. But we're still far behind many other industries. The automotive industry, banking, airlines, others got into this much, much sooner than agriculture. So we did lag mm-hmm. uh, these other large industries. To some extent, that's actually beneficial because the, the um, technologies are m- more mature now mm-hmm. than they were 10 years ago. So we're able to make um, work progress faster than some of those other industries that were pioneering uh, artificial intelligence and integration into their industry. But now that we're here, it's just moving gangbusters and just almost every aspect of agriculture is either being influenced by AI now or will be, I think, probably probably five years or less. I think five years is probably the maximum we're going we're gonna to find this uh, throughout our industry. Well, when you bring autonomy into the conversation, I mean, that's a whole other level where AI really can play a, a big role. And auto, the auto industry drove some of that with their with cars that you can't you can't drive somebody else, the car drives itself but as we look at that in ag where autonomy actually has a better place i think ai has a fantastic opportunity are you looking at that area too we're doing all of that now we do it generally in the context of florida so right. we're working on systems that are appropriate for florida agriculture which it's a fruit and based mm-hmm. uh, fruit and vegetable based uh, industry for the most part but that's interesting. interesting question because Florida, uh, California, Michigan, maybe New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, we tend to grow things that are very labor-intensive. And we all know that labor in the United States is disappearing mm-hmm. as the economy of Mexico and even Salvador and Honduras, as they improve, people want to stay home. So we're having more and more trouble getting that labor here to do the work that, frankly, we don't want to do. Mm-hmm. It's backbreaking work. Right. I personally don't think people, should, anyone should be doing that work. So if we don't have robots, which is driven by AI, mm-hmm. in our fields here sooner rather than later, we're going to lose a lot of the production in this country, in the salad bowl of California, but also the, the, the vegetable basket of uh, Florida. So this is, um, this is an immediate imperative, and there are all kinds of, we probably will talk about a couple examples, but they're just dozens of ways that AI is being used right now or will be used very soon. It's amazing to me what, what I've already hear about that it's, but, you know, I'm in a lot, I read about a lot of startups and write about a lot of startups in my role and AI is almost always in the second paragraph of every release you get, <laughs> the use of AI in some problem. It's interesting to me though that you're looking at every department across the University of Florida to see opportunities for AI. I mean, uh, to me, that'll be the biggest eye-opener as to how library science is impacted by AI. How I mean, I already know computer science will be impacted. I know engineering is going to be impacted. Architectural design is already impacted. But it's the the different science, sciences, economics, library science, journalism, how those might be impacted by AI. Yeah, um, medicine particularly. Oh, yes. uh, that is very quickly becoming AI-driven. Uh, not all the doctors think that's necessarily a good idea because it's somewhat pulling them back from the uh, decision-making process, but he'll probably get better diagnoses as well in the long run. So even in a college of agriculture like mine, we are looking at AI to help 
uh, with teaching of uh, agricultural sciences and our um, help train future ag teachers okay. around the country. Uh, we are looking at AI for planning, for harvesting, for weather prediction, for disease and insect and weed control. It just goes on and on and on and I, I don't even, I think we've just scratched the surface Absolutely. of this and we'll probably five years from now we'll look back and uh, you know, be doing things that today we can't even imagine. So you have about 200 AI faculty, let's just say that, that that's kind of their focus. But now they've got to work with the plant pathologist, or they're going to work with the plant breeder, or they're going to work with the uh, entomologist. How do you get those conversations started with a person who has no ag background, probably, but it's a very deep AI background? Well, first of all, we're hiring lots of um, AI scientists with some agriculture background. They're actually out there now. Really? So they've, sometimes they're coming out of industry, okay. There's, there are some at other universities, and because Florida has become the hub for this, they've, they've tended to want to leave where they are and come to... Is there like a transfer come. portal for... never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea, though. Yeah, that's right. But So that's cool. So, but these, these conversations still must be very interesting for the non-AI, dyed-in-the-wool plant pathologist, plant breeder entomologist, how do those conversations start? Yeah, so a good example would be uh, strawberry breeding. We, oh, yeah. we breed a lot of the strawberries for the southeast and other warmer areas of the United States. And we have an outstanding, um, I'd say he's more of a traditional strawberry breeder, one of the most successful in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've hired someone to help him decide what genes, how those genes can be moved around, <clears throat> and that will then direct uh, either traditional breeding, mm -hmm. which, um, at least in the strawberry industry, I think that's probably the near-term future. Yeah. I don't know that we're going to have genetically modified strawberries in the near term. But if we ever did get to that point, or possibly using things like CRISPR, yeah. we could. Um, we, we will also then have AI-driven um, genetic technologies where they identify the genes, they, as you said at the beginning of this, mm -hmm. How will these um, how will these hybrids interact in a way to produce the um, uh, the new varieties that come from that? So, you know, uh, plant breeding uh, that AI is going to be a very big part of that. Um, it's just starting now, so it's it's important. But I think in a couple of years it's going to be the, the dominant decision making process for breeding. Well, and the beauty of that is genetic libraries are massive and making conclusions about them. You can be a very experienced plant breeder and look at this massive library and you know a lot of stuff, but then AI comes in and says, yeah, but if, if you brought in this pool of genes here, you're gonna much better flavor, better shipping, whatever, all the fancy things you need out of a strawberry. I think it's fascinating what that could be. Right, yeah. But, so as, we, as you look at this uh, going into the future, it's exciting. Um, you kind of have a tiger by the tail. How do you keep the tiger going down the same road going forward? It's, it's, just, it's just the momentum that good, and, and it's all great, um, and you're going to need more funding. How do we keep that ball rolling? Well, we're to the point now where we need to begin to um, bring industry into this. Okay. Um, you know, as a land-grant university, our job, obviously, is to improve the economy, improve people's lives, all the other things that would come with farming as well. Um, but we're going to do this by creating a center. Uh, the, a lot of the fruit and vegetable production in Florida is grown just uh, east of Tampa, mm -hmm. uh, in a town called Plant City. Yes, I love Plant uh, City. We have a research and education center there. And, and there we are now creating a center for um, the applied use of artificial intelligence in agriculture. 
And so it will be what we call in university speak right now, a collision space, where we will have our faculty there, we'll have our students there, and we will have business now that has an interest in the things that our faculty are doing, mm -hmm. renting space in that, in, the, in that building, so that they all work together. They're in the same place. They talk together on a daily basis. So a lot of things we can do for industry that they can't do well, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But mostly we want to make sure that the technologies that we're working on um, number one, are they the right ones? We don't need to be doing things that no one cares about. Right. And sometimes, when you work at in, when you work in university, it's a little hard to tell uh, what what's important to the rest of society and mm -hmm. what it uh, what isn't because we're a little bit isolated from mm -hmm. uh, certainly uh, the real world sometimes. Uh, so having those businesses next door to us or with us will help us will help guide us in the right direction. And then we, when we develop technologies that are appropriate, uh, they can then pick them up very quickly and commercialize them and get them into the field. Our job is not to move things into the field and make a business of it. Right. That's um, you know, Our job is to develop new ideas, uh, get them established, and then turn it over to a private business to, uh, through the capitalistic process, get it into the field. Yeah, but I see a lot of opportunity there to work with uh, a wide range of businesses, whether you're talking a major company that anybody would recognize or a startup that started in Florida rather than California that could take these technologies and commercialize them. That's a good point because you don't want to be creating, what is it, a solution looking for a problem? You want to identify the problem and then pull together the right tools. That's interesting. Do you see a timeline on more practical application or is it just going to happen like mushrooms almost, things are just going to pop up all across the campus as this kind of comes to fruition? Well, that's a great question, I, uh, and it's a good analogy. I think it's going to be like the mushrooms popping up. To some extent, we don't, we don't know what we're going to find over the next couple of years. Um, we are bringing together our plant breeders with an AI specialist mm -hmm. or our um, weed control specialist, which, which is a big area for Florida right, right. now, and our AI specialist to develop autonomous vehicles for much more specific control weeds in the mm -hmm. field. Um, sometimes things work, sometimes they don't, sometimes AI is ready, and sometimes it's not. And so we're just, you know, we're pushing as much as we can in a number of different areas. We know not all of them are going to work, but some of them will, and those ones that do, I think that's where we're going to really move the needle. Uh, we're really fortunate at a university. We have the we, and this is for all land grant mm -hmm. colleges well, back around the country. Yeah. We have the ability to fail more often than private industry does. Yeah, if you fail fifty percent of the time in private industry, you're, you know, you lose your job. Mm -hmm. Company shuts down. But at a university, if we fail fifty percent of the time, that just means we've taken a lot of risk, and we've done some things that um, may not work, but we can check that off of the list and then move on to things that do have a, you know, more positive uh, approach to it. So we're the risk takers, but we're also where a lot of the future innovation comes from. My experience is when you have a failure in AI, it teaches you something. That's the best part of the software, the, the concept, is if it fails, you know why it failed, and then it drives software development or development of the, the brain in a different direction, which is kind of exciting too, because it you know what the what caused the failure, and that doesn't always come true in other things in research. That's an important point. That's the self-learning aspect of artificial right. intelligence. Yeah. Anything else that you think that people should understand about this investment? I mean, this is this is a significant. To be honest, it probably looked a little bit like a risk when you started this conversation. So, what do, what do you what do you want people to know about this? 
Well, this is, um, it's a paradigm shift in agriculture. We've gone through several waves of great innovation in agriculture, mechanization at one time. Fertilizers was probably another one. Mm -hmm. um, genetic engineering, genetic modification. And to me, this is really the fourth wave okay. of uh, a great change in agriculture because it is going to change everything. I'll give you a, one quick example that I think is just fabulous. And we're doing this at our Plant City location. Okay. So it's a system that is up and running. It's being tested right now. It's not ready for a commercial application, but it's a um, it's a um, it's a sensor that's mounted on the front of a tractor that will be able to identify weeds, uh, decide what type of weed it is, mm -hmm. and then spray that weed with the appropriate herbicide. So rather than spraying the entire field like we do now, mm -hmm. or, you know, where there's a crop and where there's nothing growing right. and where there are weeds, right now we spray the whole thing. Uh, what we're going to be able to do, what we are doing now, and what will be commercialized with over the next, within the next couple of years, will be these cameras that identify the weed, decide what type it is, what type of um, herbicide is needed to control that weed, and then spray only the weed. So you use about 75% less herbicide, mm -hmm. save a lot of money for the farmer. You um, uh, Tremendous impact on the environment because we're now using fewer chemicals in the field. Um, and we probably get better weed control because it's much more prescriptive. So everyone is a winner mm -hmm. in, in all of this. There are some commercial applications looking at just the see and shoot a weed. Taking it to the next level to see the weed, say that's a palmer, that's a mare's tail, that's a whatever, pick your pick your favorite weed, and then have in the tank the right thing at the right dose to hit it hard would be, uh, that's a step level change, so. Yeah, Every, you know, an important goal of agriculture is to, to use fewer inputs. Right. Both have less impact on the environment and to save money. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we're gonna do this. Same thing for fertilizer, we already have um, <clears throat> regulated fertilizer application systems, but that's all stored in the computer of the tractor from last season's yield, right. where we know add more, add less. Uh, this is going to even be a little different. It's going to look at the health of the crop at the front of the tractor, and at the back of the tractor, it will know that, hey, this area needs more fertilizer, or this area wow. already has enough fertilizer, this back off. And maybe even someday, it'll get to the point where it'll know, hey, we need more nitrogen, but we don't need more phosphorus. Mm -hmm. So let's, not only is it now variable rate for N, P, and K, and kind of in total, it will be able to regulate the specific plant nutrient that's being applied to the field. And yet do it in a way that's economical for the farmer to invest in, because that's always the next thing, right? How big is that equipment? What's it going to cost? But this is exciting from the standpoint of the software and where it could go. It's amazing. Well, a lot of these, I think there's always, um, as you build things out to scale right. and, and you start to replicate it, the cost always goes down. Mm -hmm. So the first Tesla someone bought was pretty expensive. Yes, they're, it was. They're now less than 40000 where they used to be. Um, the same thing's going to happen. These are, these are going to be smaller machines, mm -hmm. uh, maybe the size of a desktop, that you can run through the field autonomously and uh, control weeds. Probably not apply fertilizer because that requires a bigger tractor to pull, right, a, pull right. it in. Um, <clears throat> but... I think even the machines that are involved in these technologies are going to be less expensive than they are today, where we need massive horsepower. 
and we have massive things to pull behind it. These are going to be much smaller. They can run 24-7. Uh, they will be um, self-maintaining in a mm -hmm. lot of different ways. Uh, we have another uh, machine that we are working on right now for control of um, fungal diseases okay. in crops, where it uses UV light. Mm -hmm. But what it does, so rather than spraying a, a, a fungicide, it's uh, it's it's no bigger than your desk at home, mm -hmm. but it travels down one row, and it travels at night, by the way, yeah. because you get the sunlight interferes with this. So uh, it shines UV light. It blows the leaves around a little bit, shines UV light on, and controls the uh, the diseases that way. And so it goes down one row, and it uh, you know, turns around, goes down the next row, and by the time the sun comes up the next morning, it's parked itself you know over in the barn and ready to go the next night. So it's a pretty intense UV light, though, versus UV from the sun. I mean, to control a fungus, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's a sunburn happening. It's, yeah, don't <laughs> get under that. Yeah. But, but I, well, again, but that goes back to one of the interesting things about AI is, to me and any technology lately is we've often had questions about something. You go, how could I do this? Or why can't I? But we wouldn't really be able to answer, ask the question because there just was no way to get an answer. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that, AI brings to the party too is the ability to not only ask the question but create the answer, and that's that's very exciting. So you having fun? Oh, oh yeah. Well, first of all, um, I, I love being in, in Florida in IFAS University of Florida. It's a great institution. Right. Uh, Florida is a big, complicated state, both in good, bad, good and bad ways. Right. Uh, but it's a fascinating place to be, and and then being at the forefront of something that I think is going to be that next revolution in agriculture. It's just a cool place to be at a cool time. Great. Well, Dr. Angle, I appreciate your time, and thanks for joining me here on Around Farm Progress. My pleasure. Thank you. It's always great to connect with people driving significant change for our industry. The work of more than 200 faculty members across the University of Florida campus, bringing artificial intelligence to many different industry areas, offers significant promise. And of course, it's fun to be on the cutting edge of any technology advances. Thanks to Dr. Angle for his work and taking the time to join me on the podcast. And you can make sure you don't miss these conversations with industry leaders and our editorial team working to share the stories of agriculture. Simply subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And if you have a smart speaker, all you have to do is tell it to listen to Around Farm Progress, and you'll hear the latest episode. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and our events, including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, the Farm Futures Business Summit, and the New York Farm Show. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening. <music>